Worlds, the podcast where we create fantastical worlds with help from you, our listeners. My name is Rob Hilferty, and I'm here with my co-hosts, Daniel Quinn and Chris Prunty. We're just going to dive right into this fucking episode because, man, we are interviewing game designer, author, writer, all that nonsense, Rob Schwab. We're going to cut to that now. And welcome. We are joined today by uh, game designer, author, writer, uh, Rob Schwab. Rob, so glad to have you with us today. Hey, thanks so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, absolutely. And for those of you, uh, for people who might not know you too well, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, I'll just work uh, from current to backwards. Uh, I am the publisher of Shadow of the Demon Lord, Punk Apocalyptic, the role-playing game, and the forthcoming Shadow of the Weird Wizard. Uh, before that, I worked on uh, Dungeon Dragons for a number of years. Uh, contributions include the Player's Handbook, Dungeon Master's Guide, Monster Manual's Guide, Zolo's Guide to Everything, and all the other stuff that's come out for 5th edition D&D. Before that, I was a heavy contributor for 4th edition and 3rd edition. Uh, before that, I worked for Green Ronin Publishing as a line developer for Song of Ice and Fire Roleplaying. Uh, I designed a black company campaign setting, Thieves World. I ran uh, the line Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 2nd Edition. Uh, and then before that, uh, I was uh, working freelance. And you can find credits if you go this far back from uh, in books by Fantasy Flight Games, AEG, uh, Paradigm Concepts, Goodman Games, etc. So I've been doing this for about uh, 18 years. So yeah, wow. I've been busy. Yeah. And that's, I mean, obviously that's a really impressive resume. And uh, one thing that I, I wanted to start off with, because I feel like it's a bit lesser known, but as I was doing my research for this interview, because we do that here, I noticed that you wrote for the role-playing game Grimm. And I was wondering if you want to talk about that a little bit, because I think Grimm is one of those like great, interesting settings and conceits for a game. I wanted to see what your experience was like on that game. Uh, it's an int- it's a funny game and a funny st- not really a funny story but uh, it's a it's an interesting story because and I'll t- actually um, I'll tell you why it's awesome uh, I was sucking dick in alleys basically uh, <laughs> in the early days of my career uh, and and that means not literally sucking dicks in alleys but it's going to origins with a stack of shittily made business cards and glad handing everybody and anybody who would throw me. A bone. I had already landed two gigs, but uh, two or three gigs, but nothing had come out yet, and uh, it was all pretty difficult. Uh, and so Origins was tough. I went to Gen Con after that, and didn't have much more luck. But, but uh, my later later to be friend Rob Vaughn uh, contacted me by email and said, "Hey, I like what you did on Unholy Warriors Handbook." which was a really tremendously bad book I did for Green Renine, but it was early days. Um, and I like what you did in that book. Would you like to take over on the Grim role-playing game? It's for our Horizons imprint. And Fantasy Flight was, was at, this, at this time, was pretty cunning for the early days of the D20 boom because they pushed uh, the game engine in, different, in, in ways that, uh, I don't think anybody expected. So we had a transformer style game on the Horizon imprint. There was also a Mad Max game, and so on. Now the premise for Grimm, and this was this, the writer who was, who had started the work. He just basically had a bare bones skeleton and some general ideas about character archetypes. 
but the premise is you play kids who get sucked into this twisted version of Grimm's fairy tales. And keep in mind, this is, this is 2002, 2003. So it hasn't already been done to death by television and film by just, you know, dredging up old stories and repaving them. This was pretty new ground at that point. There wasn't a whole lot of stuff that had been done. I mean, there, there was a, the inversion of the Beowulf story, I guess, uh, the Grendel book. And I'm sure there were a bunch of other things about writing Hood and so on. But anyway, so I'm, I'm going into this. And a lot of that book um, probably wouldn't hold up by today's standards because there were things that you could get away with, or you don't even sort of think you were getting away with anything, but stuff that might be offensive by modern consumers. Uh, standards. Anywho, uh, it, it, I, I wrapped it up, uh, and that was all in that kind of build up towards my work, uh, to, towards me getting hired by the Ronins. And uh, that was a cat running around. Sorry about that. Uh, the, the Ronins hiring me to be the uh, line developer. It comes out and does really, really fucking well. Like, well enough that it won my first Annie Award, and I lost, I got the silver for product of the year, uh, losing only to Monty Cook's uh, Arcana Evolved, no, Arcana Unearthed product. This just goes to tell you, show you how, how fucking ancient history this is. <laughs> but, um, so it was a neat, it was a neat experience. Uh, Fancy Flight later came back to me and said, hey, uh, we'd like you to do the introduction to the standalone role-playing game. They custom-built a story. I think they softened some of the things that were going in. I mean, I did the, I did the opening and I did uh, a section on the beanstalk. I'm not, I can't remember if that survived or not. I was going really dark. At one point, Georgie Porgie, he liked the, the little kid who liked to eat candy. I decided that this character's teeth had all rotted out and repa- replaced them with broken glass. And so, and he's, uh, and his appetite had evolved to go after people uh, who had high sugar in their blood. So he would chew on them instead. So it got really dark, and I don't think they really appreciated the darkness that I was going for. But the first one was almost family-friendly, and we had great times. So there's there's that story. Happy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm noticing that you went dark immediately and for the rest of your career. So I feel like that's actually... You're on brand. You stayed on brand. You had an identity and you kind of stuck with it. I feel like that's pretty damn smart, all things considered. So that's an ex- existential question for you. Like, wh- why dark fantasy? Why did it come down to that in the end? Well, I think it's it goes back to how I always ran games. Uh, mm-hmm. I would always go for shock and disgust and just regular vanilla D&D. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this goes all the way back to the beginning of my career because I was fascinated by uh, the, the the grotesque and the disturbing. I wasn't much of a horror buff, but I grew up in an extremely uh, conservative religious household. And mm-hmm. so I lived in fear of even touching my penis when I peed, thinking that if I did any more <laughs> than that, it would land me in hell. And, you know, when my mom says, you know, you can't play Dungeons and Dragons because Satan's crawling into your butthole and laying eggs because you're thinking about dragons and goblins and getting gold pieces and shit. Uh, it became like, uh, I, I, you know, I, I had to go along with it. So uh, that, of course, opened the door to, to darker and more horrifying games. But whatever. The point is, is that even when we were playing Twilight 2000, I would go dark. So um, when I got started, I mean, I pitched books that were, that were kind of edgy, not edgy, but on the, the darker side of the spectrum. So like the Unholy Warriors Handbook, 
I pitched that as the anti-paladin's handbook to the Ronins. Uh, then they hired me to work on a big chunk of Book of Fiends, which I recently, I guess a year or so ago, did the fifth edition update to that book. Um, and that's where the Ronins called me, uh, or they prefer me to call it the Ronins, uh, called me Dr. Evil because uh, pretty much everything I touched went full on gross, full on weird, <laughs> full on disturbing. And that just seems to be the thing that, you know, it's, and even Wizards of the Coast recognized that. I mean, I worked on the Book of Vile Darkness for fourth edition. I did Elder Evils and Exemplars of Evil in third edition. So, yeah. This is basically the Satanic Panic's fault. This is why. Yeah. It's pretty much me saying, you know, uh, fuck you, people. Fuck you for ruining what was a lot of fun for me and my 36-level fighter who had a tamed gold dragon and was in the middle of slaughtering everything in the deities and demigods. Fuck you for interrupting that awesome story. Yeah. So I imagine that your uh, your soundtrack to childhood was interspersed between, like, church hymns and then like probably i'm i'm guessing either some kind of norwegian black metal or like just fucking like hardcore punk movement from the 80s that's 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 my guess i was a i was an innocent child uh i didn't smoke my first cigarette until i was 16 i didn't drink my first <laughs> beverage alcoholic beverage aside from my dad coming to me in the middle of, in the middle of the night like a like a tooth like a beer tooth fairy coming in and filling up a small little glass of beer so I would sleep well. I guess I always think of fatherhood and it's warm and fuzzy. That's why I drink all the time. Anywho, uh, the the thing about it is is that uh, I was I, like the hardest thing I listened to was this Christian metal band called Petra that my stepmother gave me, and it wasn't until I saw David Gilmore play on Saturday Night Live in support of I guess the About Face album that I realized there was a whole world of other things out there. And, uh, and I, so by the time I was a senior in high school, I was in the Morbid Angel and Cannibal Corpse and uh, everything else, and I've never turned back. So full-on Hail Satan when it comes to the music side. Oh, fuck yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we uh, we interviewed the Morkborg guys not too long ago, so we're on that Hail Satan train with yeah. you, absolutely. Yeah, we, I need to get together with those guys so we could just um, you know just talk about dark shit together. That would be cool. cool. Yeah, Look, if we could facilitate that in any yeah. way, I'd love to do that. Can we just, just watch on the side? That would be great. I, I think my favorite thing out of the Mork board game was one of the background elements that you were hang your mom was pregnant when she was hanged, and when her neck broke, she shat you out. Yes. I am 90% sure that's a Berserk reference, but yeah, I'm not, it, I, I didn't ask them. It's so fucking cool. And so... <laughs> It just tells, yeah, it's everything. It's it's right in the ten. It's like you know, I get a can of tuna fish and I open it up and oh shit, it's tuna inside. I was wanting chicken. No, you open up Mort Borg. It says right in the ten. You're gonna go fucking crazy and feel bad about yourself <laughs> playing this game. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Also, you're going to desecrate at least three holy sites in the in the meantime. Oh yeah, we, we had a good time playing it. It was fun. Oh fuck yeah! Spiked mailed or spiked flail to the face is probably the best bit of like writing mm -hmm. I've heard for that. And goddamn, is it fucking accurate too? Yeah, yeah it's good. It, it yeah. inspired me to 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 ratchet up my game a bit. I was getting I, complacent by having uh, grandmas with stone babies on a bill of cords and using the <laughs> uh, flails. <laughs> Absolutely. And, yeah. and that's the thing. Every now and again, you'll find a book or like some something where you look where you look at it and you're like, fuck, I need to do better. Like I've been I've been fucking phoning it in with this bullshit. And now I've actually got to do better now. 
Yeah, that was uh-huh. that was kind of my impression of when I finally got my hands on the last edition of Cult. It's like, fuck, come on, <laughs> come on. I mean, I couldn't <laughs> play this game with anybody. I live in fucking Tennessee of all places. Oh. Can you imagine me shopping around at the elementary schools? Like, hey, kid, you want a happy meal and play a game of Cult? That's never going to fly. I get you quickly. How do you feel list. about Satan exactly? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I told you about my Lord and Savior. Yeah, <laughs> I'm since it's uh, not a license that you own. I'm not sure if it'll be on there, but on the Rob's basement, does that mean we'll be seeing Mort Bork or anything like that on there, or, or uh, Punk Apocalyptic? Yeah, we're gonna do more stuff. Here's here's a, the fucking bullshit. Uh, so <laughs> as the world kind of imploded and all of the shit started falling apart, uh, I haven't had anybody in my basement except for the occasional lizard that sneaks in from the, through the back door or a runaway cat from upstairs. So my basement has been pretty much devoid of anything except my own ennui and grief. Uh, so uh, we haven't recorded anything. Um, and we did a few, we did, we've done some gaming online, but I fucking hate that shit. So uh, <laughs> we don't do, we tried, we tried to do mass and lay our tap and it went fine for a little bit, but then, you know, I just get drunker and drunker and it gets fine. <laughs> doing me any favors so uh we're just kind of easing back into it it's kind of like going on a sex sabbatical for seven years and you try to actually get back at it it's gonna be painful so uh oh. that's kind of where we are right now so there will be when we get what assuming assuming that you know the year doesn't end with a titanic belch and fart followed by <laughs> sudden and spontaneous defecation and that which translates into a complete and total collapse of our nation state into a third world, third world fucking nightmarish hellscape. If that doesn't happen and the pandemic does seem to wind its shit back because some cocksucker out there decides to finally wear a mask and stop the spread, then maybe we'll get going again. Oh my goodness, this is going to be the greatest episode we've published. Hands this down. Is so, so I'm hearing from you, we'll, we'll hear back from Rob's basement on 2024. <laughs> well, yeah, at this rate. At this rate, you know, yeah, it'll, yeah it will see. Very cathartic, though. Oh yeah, yeah. There, there. I mean, there's just this fucking immense level of anger and grief towards the world, and fuck yeah, this is what a I righteous, mean, like a righteous anger. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I don't blame. Yeah. Him. I'm sure it won't boil over or anything due to no. any events. I mean, we're going to get really great source books though from this. You certainly will. <laughs> yeah, my next, my next role playing game after Weird Wizards called The Trouble with White People. The game. <laughs> <laughs> I I have some um some some an opportunity for you to give cantankerous advice if you'd well, like. Sure, of course. Okay, so here's here's a, we usually try to ask each of our um kind of you know the the grizzled guys who've been there before and done the design work for newbie world builders. Um, they're going out there like, what's your either your pet peeves if you want to rant about them or your number one piece of advice when people are designing a new world? Mm, all right, well. Let's clarify that just a second. Uh, are we talking about designing a new world for publication or designing a new world to masturbate on with your friends? For publication, because why the hell else? No, no, fuck that. Anything, anything. All right. Well, if you're doing it for your, if you're doing it for yourself and your friends because you're doing this as a hobby, and you're not trying to monetize your hobby like mm-hmm. a dumbass would. Uh, <laughs> then uh, not saying that people who try to monetize their hobby are dumbasses, but sir, you were on a podcast about that very thing right now. You'll fucking figure it out. You'll fucking figure it out when you're 15 years old and you're in a 
broken marriage and you're surrounded by cats and you haven't left the fucking house except to go to the bar and you're yelling at people randomly. And the last time somebody came to invite you to their church, you pulled your pants down. You know, you're going to say, man, maybe I should have stuck with fucking McDonald's because at oh least God. I'm not stressed out all the time and I had some place to go other than having to go and fucking do the work. But if you're going to do this by, if you're going to do this for your friends, steal everything you fucking can. Steal everything. If it's not nailed down, take it and make it your own and make it fucking awesome. Because you're doing this as spank material. You could be doing all sorts of other things with your life and time than sitting around and tinkering with world design. But you've chosen to do this. So steal all the shit you can, jumble it up and make it something sweet. And, you know, if you're doing this professionally, you could do the same thing. If you're 17 years old with a rich parents, you might get a fucking movie deal out of it. But anyway, that aside, if you're doing uh, uh, I think what my big pet peeve is, is uh, for world building mm-hmm. is like there's there. If you look at Demon Lord, the world building, there's a thick slab of cynicism in there. Right. It's just cynical, cynical as fuck. Because I just was like, I was looking at this shit and I'm like, oh God, I have to create yet another fucking fantasy world because we haven't already done it yet a million fucking times. So of course we're going to have a analog to uh, the, the Grand Canyon. Why the fuck not? Every other one else does. We have to have some place called a reach and we have to have some theocracy there. And uh, there's probably going to be a place where there aren't any you know, major kingdom things, but it's ruled by a bunch of bandit chiefs. That works too, because these are all recognizable archetypes that live mm-hmm. in our overdone, overwrought fantasy genre. Uh, so I think it's fine to do that uh, because those so are there. steal and pervert are, are the primary goals here. Yeah. But um, <laughs> steal and pervert. Think, you know, it's a, you got to build toward what, what, you know, build your world to support the particular slice of the genre that you're going for. If you want to fit the theme and the mood and all that stuff, right? Right. Right. Yeah. Um, Like if you're going to build a fantasy setting in some backwoods, Arkansas nightmare place, Uh then you might uh, think about what, you know, if you, uh, you might think about that education is going to be pretty shitty. Uh, People Mm -hmm. are going to have a hard time doing basic math and then build your world around that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, Look, so I actually, I love you people. You're great. <laughs> uh, so, so actually that kind of brings, that brings a, a natural segue into, you have a new product that you're developing right now, which is basically a, a, a toned down version of shadow of the demon Lord, right? Yeah. How is that so, possible? So, so that's actually my question. <laughs> how do you, how, so a lot of what I love about Shadow of the Demon Lord, besides like the mechanical freedom and everything like that, is just how evocative a lot of the spells and like basically it's dripping with flavor. You have a fucking spell where people shit themselves to death. What is the toned down version of shitting yourself to death in this? <laughs> in, uh, yeah, well, I think you should probably expect that spell is absent. Um, <laughs> there's a spell horrid joining where you can basically turn your, you can, you can become uh, permanently attached to one of your best friends. And every time I do that, they're always going to be attached to the penis. It's just the way it works. Uh-huh. Uh, so you're peeing out your, so the guy's peeing out your mouth, the alien thing. Anyway, um, I, 
No, Weird Wizard. Uh, all right, let's. So the whole idea for a, a family friendly version of Demon Lord started like the year after Demon Lord came out. And so that should testify, that should tell you how fucking hard it's been for me to just dial it the fuck back. Mm-hmm. Because I want to have <laughs> big demons with spiked dicks running around, and I want to have crucified babies and the sky boiling and, and oceans turning to blood, the animals rising up and saying, we've had enough, you fucking humans, and starting to you know wholesale murder folks. I want all that shit, but I, I can't do that. So, so as I've been working with it, and I also know, and I, there's also the other part of this problem too, is that mm-hmm. Demon Lord's underlying math is fine-tuned for the horror fantasy experience, where Weird Wizard is not a horror fantasy experience. There's an expectation of survival, that kind of comes with this package. Now, Weird Wizard is sort of dark fantasy, but dark in a way that you might say Space Mountain at Disney World is, is a little dark. It's, you know, <laughs> it's scary. You might poop a little bit when you go at the end. Uh, there's flashing <laughs> lights, and there's probably a kid crying, and there's probably some guy getting a hand job, but you can't see any of it because it's all dark, and there's flashing lights, and it ends. And you and think, oh, on fucking Space Mountain. Weird Wizard similar in the sense that uh, it is it is it's got some negative backstory stuff. There's an old country where uh, it's all fallen into this just horrific war, and then before that, civilization has risen up and destroyed itself. So we know that we've this is like the third go at trying to unfuck ourselves as people, uh, and we just probably can't do it again. Uh, so it's. It's got some of that grim grimness, but you could play a fucking happy little dragon, you know, and you, you, you're not looking around for treasure and murdering big, scary monsters in the same manner that you would in like a and d game. But you are doing some of those same kinds of things, right? You're trying to explore this new world and uh, make peace with the people that live there and maybe occasionally have to fight a big scary demon or something along those lines. It seemed it, the gameplay is really tight, slick. It looks good and it has just as many fucking options in it as Demon Lord does. There you go. Absolutely. With a lot of your work coming from this kind of uh, cynic place, how do you, and also the fact that you're your own writer, publisher and all of that setting your own deadlines. I was curious as to when you hit a creative dead end or writer's block or anything, how do you motivate yourself, but also be incredibly cynical? Um, there's uh, two things, uh, fear and self-loathing. Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I grappled with imposter syndrome in this business for a really long time. And I've had a good about four or five years of therapy to help deal with that and a bunch of other things. So I've managed to to kind of work through some of that damage. Um, I also drink a lot, uh, which is another problem that kind of feeds into this monster. Uh, so I don't have the luxury of creative dead ends. If I encounter a, a rough spot, uh, then I have to fight through it. Typically, that means I will grab a journal and go to a bar, you know, when the world's not on fire. Uh, and work out the problem or uh, it's it's same thing as whiteboarding uh, someplace else, but I just don't have the benefit of a whiteboard or a staff of overly bored people who'd rather be anywhere else. Um, Instead, I have to work it out through my own. Um, 
there have been times I remember that I was working on um, this project called the Thieves World Gazetteer for the Ronins again, and uh, the writer that we hired to to do this book uh, just went way out of went way colored way outside the lines. When you work in a licensed property, you uh, you're kind of constrained by what is in the light, you know, what's there in the thing that's been created. And mm-hmm. unless you are like sharing a bed with the owner of the, the, the licensed property, you're probably not allowed to just make up whatever the fuck you want uh, uh, willy nilly. I mean, can you imagine what George would have said if I decided in Song of Ice and Fire, well, George, we're going to have this place called Candy Fuckland, and uh, you get each piece of candy that your little knight character gets, just loads you up with hallucinogens, and it gives you like a dose of Viagra. George would probably freak out about that, even though tonally it probably fits. Uh, so with... Uh, I remember that I was grappling with this manuscript. I'm, I'm talking with Lynn and Lynn's giving me, uh, it's doing red, uh, red lines and, and she's basically rebuilding the larger world that surrounds these world. And I just looking at this manuscript and it's a 160 page book thereabouts. And I just got so upset and I got so sick. I mean, I threw up twice. I had to lay on the bed and it was full on panic attack. Couldn't get through it. But I, you know, you, 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 eventually I got through it and the, the book got done and it was, and that was that. So, um, I don't, I am cynical about a lot of the, a lot of this industry largely because I've, you know, well, I will, that's a, that's another, that's another question, but I am cynical about the industry, but I do love the hobby still. It's just mm-hmm. work. And, uh, and I, my cats need to be fed and I need to keep my lights on and someone's going to pay my bar tab. So <clears throat> you just do the work. Uh, I, I imagine that, um, well, for context, Owen, K, uh, Owen Casey Stevens has had a, a good old Twitter thread of the real RPG industry and just how fucked up and awful it can be. Yeah. And I imagine that you've probably tasted a little bit of that, especially when you're working with licensed properties and stuff like that. Sure. And Owen and I have worked together. We know we're friends. We've known each other for years and years and we've been in the trenches together. Uh, I think Owen's certainly has a particular, there's a, there's a particularly bitter pill for him since that he, you know, he got hired at work for Witch of the Coast and then wasn't there very long before they laid him off. Mm. And then he got the job at Paizo and was doing pretty well there. And then uh, his wife took a job and so he left. And then she got laid off within, what, the day after she got there. So it's just, oh. it's, but this is a, you know, it's it's not like, it's not like tabletop RPG design is, uh, is somehow different from any other industry. I mean, if you work for the video game business, you could, sacrifice your life working 80 hour 80 hours 120 hour weeks for six months you're working the games over and they lay you off i know people that have moved across the country and out of the country over and over and over again for as long as i've known them without ever actually putting down roots in any place long enough to even call it home i mean i don't even know why you would ever unpack your boxes if you're working in that field yeah jesus it's pretty it's not that's kind of, which kind of brings me back to my, my sarcastic statement first. It's like, if you're going to try, I mean, there's a DIY part of this business and that's what's so exciting about what's going on now. 
you know, Mork, Morkborg and the raft of other games that are like it are interesting and exciting and, ev and evocative and they're taking the hobby in all sorts of new and interesting directions. But, the, and, and I think that's exciting. Uh, there are other aspects of this hobby that I just make me sad because I don't need another book of feats and I don't ever need it be the complete book of elves ever again. Uh, because we've already done this, right? I've written a description on elves more times than I can count. If I have to think about what make dwarves exciting and new, fuck, I don't know. I mean, read the fucking hundred source books on dwarves have already been done, right? I mean, yeah. and so I think my cynicism in this just comes from there is some degree of retreading. We just redo the same thing over and over and over and over and over and over and over again to just feed that that appetite. It's, it's really like you're trying to draw blood from a stone when it's like that teat has been milked to the point of calcification. Yeah. There is nothing left. Do something new and interesting. But then you have like the bigger companies who are like, well, we're corporate and we need that book on elves by Thursday. So if you could really get back to work on that. I mean, I, 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 I love the DIY aspect, right? Where you're seeing like, you know, one of, one of the, one of the, my favorite things about the Morkborg interview was like he, the uh, Johan was like, fuck it, write a book based on a cookbook, you know, like fuck the rules, do whatever you want, you know, like as long as it's good, it'll be good. Yeah. And I think seeing the direction of the industry go that way is like actually pretty fucking heartening, you know, especially as the industry is getting as big as it is. And I feel like it's growing, you know, bigger than it ever has been. I think it, I, I think it is. And I think it's, I, I, think it is, you know, in some ways, right? I think that the ebook aspects or the digital aspects of the business have ballooned in ways that I just can't even begin to, to grapple with. I have no idea how many things are on drive through right now. I don't even want to think about how many titles they have. Uh, but the dead tree version of things seems, seems as though it's not... The traditional model for publishing is dead. Mm -hmm. Let me say that. And uh, I think it's, I mean, it, board games are still doing really well, but board games are selling for reasons other than playability. People buy board games for the shiny toys they contain. They don't buy them because they think they're going to play them over and over again. Role-playing games have always had the struggle of trying to convince someone to play this role-playing playing game instead of Dungeons and Dragons. That's the problem. And are you are you seeing stuff in the indie space that you're like liking more than others? Like, because um, oftentimes we see like Shadow as being in between like OSR and modern games and that it's like indie, but it's also like got these roots that are simple and lethal and all that. Like, are there any games that you're like, excited about that, are, that you're seeing lately? Uh, you know, I'm, yeah, no, I mean, I, I don't, I right, right now pretty much I spend my money and my attention on stuff that my friends are making. So Steve Darlington did relics and that's a really cool game. Uh, Cam Banks just dropped the cortex system game handbook, uh, which it's got in the mail. Uh, I also am also a big nerd for classic games like uh, the Harn stuff, so I'm not actually answering your question. Uh, by saying, I mean those those are great. Yeah. <laughs> There's three right there. Uh, so I mean I'm I'm excited about that. I mean I, I picked up the, uh, the I'm just looking at what the sh what the fuck I have on my desk. Uh, <laughs> the Alien game, and I've got uh, some Cthulhu, and I've got the Green Knight box game from A24. You know, I've got to, you know, just stuff like that. But I mean, 
I don't know. I haven't, I haven't, I haven't, tr- I haven't dug too deeply into that aspect of the game of, of, of the universe. My friend, uh, Chris Davis, he's uh, the guy who runs Call of Cthulhu for our group. Mm-hmm. Um, he sends me, he's the one I kind of use to scout out that shit and point me through good mm-hmm. stuff. Like I would never, I've never noticed Mork Borg had it not been for uh, Borg for it, for him. I don't know why I called it Mork Borg. I sound like I'm the Swedish chef. <laughs> Mork Borg, Mork Borg. Ent- entirely by design. Uh, Chris, you had a you had a follow up question. Go ahead. Uh, to sorry. Uh, yeah, my question was going to be: I've always seen either role playing D anD D or world creating. Uh, as slightly therapeutic i've seen people put themselves into characters or you can kind of get something from a world that they're be uh building in repeated themes and such uh and i just want to say what's going on with hunger of the void is ever everything all right (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah i i i before i answer that question uh i want to go back and 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 then completely agree with you about the world building as a cathartic exercise. Uh, I have vivid memories of being in not even 20, but I was living in my filthy apartment uh, and I being at a draft board in my kitchen where the floor had not been mopped in a year and a half, overflowing ashtrays, giant trash cans full of beer cans, joint probably tucked in a cheek, uh, or between two lips as I'm using a mechanical pencil to sketch out the lines on my continent and figuring out these giant world shattering, shaking events and piecing together what would be the basis of a campaign that I ran for the next 10 years. Uh, that's exciting stuff, right? Mm-hmm. That, that, that stuff that I'm not at all cynical about. I, I, I'm a full believer in that, in the craftsmanship of design as a pursuit of, uh, or rather the production of art for it's, you're making this thing for its own sake. So I, I don't want to, I don't want to convey anything other than mad respect for people who enjoy doing that. Cause I know I kind of came off a little rough there before, but that's just basically my own negativity coming through. <laughs> uh, Hunger of the Void, uh, really the cosmology, the Shadow of the Demon Lord cosmology is my own dissatisfaction with uh, how gods, the divine, and religion are handled in the lion's share of fantasy role-playing games. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel that for a lot of players, the uh, the a god serving a god is just a cheap way for me to reskin my character as some avatar of that God. So yeah, I think that it's a, I think the whole idea of gods as actors in a game, uh, well, actually we can really, we can really fuck with this for a second. Um, Role-playing games are all about your character that you're playing and the characters, other players are playing, working together to solve some sort of problem. That's the story. If you weren't trying to solve a problem, you're just jerking yourself off and playing wet toast. Whatever comes last has to eat the slice. Now, uh, if you've got gods who are these magnificent agents in the world and they have these specially chosen individuals that are going to go sing songs for them and do all sorts of wonderful things, uh, 
I feel that it takes away something from the character. It means your character is enslaved to this divine being. There is some interesting tension between having a mercurial or uh, even um, cruel or wicked deity who you're in service to, and then having to carry out that deity's uh, missions or whatever. But the, I, I like, I, it, it seems like you're shortchanging yourself if you've got some god that's going to take care of you. So the idea of when Demon Lord was that the gods are all just fucking fairies that people just deified because, I don't know, you run into an immortal in the woods, you're probably going to worship that thing because that immortal's scary and weird. Uh, likewise, the appearance of the new god is an, is an invention by the devil, which is a fallen fairy, to take away power from all the, fair, the the deified fairy folk, take power from them for himself. And why wouldn't you? And if you have this veneer of the savior type being who's going to spare you the fires of perdition, that seems to play in perfectly because what happens is you get those fuckers who are worshiping you and then you who also don't have to make a moral decision because they're doing those moral they're making those moral decisions uh, out of fear of punishment and out of desire for reward rather than just doing the right thing. So uh, you've, you've got those fuckers who you're, you're, that are under your thumb, and then the people who reject that in this cosmology and who are doing terrible things, you're getting them too. So it's a double win. Now, <laughs> uh, the, beyond that is the idea of the demon lord itself. And so when I was working on that book, I said, well, we know what the gods are and aren't, right? <laughs> uh, but there has, but I want to have, I want to play with this idea of a first cause, a prime mover, something along those lines that would be the creative force from which everything springs. And so that's where I started building this story about uh, the you have God with a capital G uh, and an O with an umlaut because of the metal game. Uh, so you've got God, and then God in his uh, is unformed substance, but it's uh, but it's self aware, uh, and in its self awareness, it wants to create companionship, another. And so, of course, it creates a demiurge. The demiurge uh, is also an identical copy of God. But this demiurge also has its same creative impulse. And so by that same creative impulse then translates into a multitude of uh, beings which become the genies. And the genies and their need to create, uh, they tear apart God and make reality from it. And so the, the, the dark secret of the game is that God just wants his shit back. <laughs> And I think that dark and delicious because it's hopeless, because if you feel any sense of you, sh I mean, I think we sh I want you to feel some sympathy for this put upon entity because obviously he was betrayed and then dismembered. And he just yeah. wanted companionship to begin with. To begin with. So there's yeah. there. And, and now he's enraged and insane because he has been, he's been used against his will Uh and so he wants his stuff back, but in doing so, he destroys all the beauty and and anything good that could also have come out of that. So it just and that's that's what I think makes Demon Lord stand apart from you know yeah it does have a giant canyon and it does have the patchwork lands where there are a bunch of warring little kingdoms and yeah there is something called the Witch King and there are all those other things you'd expect but I always like to twist it in some way that to to make it interesting and exciting even though I'm using. Uh, iconic elements that people recognize. I think right. you called it a no bullshit approach to role playing. Yes, that's, very, <laughs> that's exactly right. 
when your piety leads to the uncreation of everything. I think that's where the twist comes in, right? Yeah. yeah. Woo. All right. Well, <laughs> we've got a uh, next up. We've actually got a question from our Patreon CR Rowenson, who wants to know where do you personally like to start when you're building a campaign or a one shot? Uh, I, when I'm building a, actually both cases, uh, I enlist, I've started doing this recently where I don't build anything. And I enlist the aid of the players or the audience, whichever way you want to put it, uh, to, uh, to construct the setting together. So I will start with a town, uh, for example, and then everyone has will roll dice and will make up stuff. And the the last time I did this, right before the the world ended, um, I, once we had built the town by rolling a big pile of d sixes, and I just said that if you roll a one to three, it's a house. If you roll a four. It's a government building. If it's a five, it's a five or six in industry or slash temple or whatever. Um, once we had done all that, we had a small whiteboard. And so I'm drawing all the stuff all over it. I had each player uh, come up with a secret about this place because the players were the ones who were telling me, telling me who the various people, uh, interesting people were in the town. And so I'd get maybe two or three lines of notes for every major NPC who was in the community. And then at the very end of the process, everybody else wrote on a post-it note, one secret that uh, that nobody else knows except for them. And then I used those secrets to be uh, fodder for the adventures. And so I'd use those secrets and spin out adventures around that. And by starting small in this way, the world kind of builds out organically. And for the kind of games that I run where I, I can't imagine running a campaign lasting more than three months, um, it's great because you get player investment and then also a lot of that work is taken off my shoulders because to be honest with you, if I'm going to come up with 50,000 words on a campaign setting, I better get paid for it. <laughs> I love that for a session zero, like having the players come up with their own secrets and then yep. incorporating it. Yeah. I, I often feel like secrets are one of those things that are, and actually let me, before we even get into that, do you play open secrets or do you like to have actual secrets at the table? Actual secrets. Yes. Nice. Absolutely. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I, I like um, having everyone write their secrets, putting mm -hmm. them in an envelope and then shuffling the envelopes and giving them back to people. Oh, that's a good idea. Too. Oh man. Yeah. Because now you have a secret and other people know. So mm -hmm. oh, that's yeah. cool. Good idea. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so now we're going to pivot into what are most people's favorite part, which is the world building jam. Rob, are you ready? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I've got my genital cuff on and everything. <laughs> Uh, I can I can hear you're engorged from here, so that's perfect. I did Remember, not I'm a grower, not a shower. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, the official world building with us jam session, the way that this works is we roll the genre, the subject, and the theme uh, to determine what kind of a scenario we're going to be building. Uh, the genres are between science fiction, fantasy, horror, modern day, romance, and superhero. And I'm going to bring my dice tray over and I'm going to roll for that now. So for our genre, we're going to be working with uh, fantasy. All right. We're in the right oeuvre. As for the subject, we have our, our choices are an item, a monster, a place, a historical figure, an event, or a cataclysm. And for that, we're going to be working with a place, 
So for the theme, we have we can choose between tragedy, sacrifice, love, metamorphosis, pride and honor, madness and the unspeakable, triumph and hope, or treachery and revenge. So we're going to be working with sacrifice. Oh. All right. So Rob, you're the guest of honor. Our scenario is starting with a fantasy genre. It's a based around a place, and the theme is sacrifice. What are you thinking of? Uh, so I'm thinking of, all right, well, I'm going to just give it to you to start. This is what I, this is the first thing that came to mind. Something really big, something really, really dangerous, uh, is, has been sleeping in this place for a long time mm-hmm. and it has to stay asleep because if it wakes up, shit happens. I don't thinking I'm not thinking the Tarrasque or any of that bullshit. I'm just thinking of, uh, <laughs> Something big and detrimental to its its environment, and the second so, and I imagine that the sacrifice would be something that would be used to keep it asleep. Mm-hmm. All right, so or we are we're dealing things. with sacrifice, fantasy, a place. So the place is where the sacrifice takes place. Is that what you want to deal with? Sure. Okay. Does it, does it? You said it poisons the place that it's in as well. It could. I, I, I'm, okay. I'm completely open. Mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. keep thinking about like townsfolk that are crawling into its anus mm-hmm. and having to inject it with something inside. Ooh, do they like live? Like, is there like a civilization built in the place on it? Yeah. Okay. Ooh. So this is like a weird like parasitic it. relationship, right? Yeah. Where if this thing wakes up, then the, there are basically colon cities that are destroyed when this thing awakes. Like the this, sphincters close and everyone suffocates. This is hitting oddly close to home. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> now, now, is there like a warning if it's starting to wake up? Uh, well, I guess, should we, thinking about like, why would anybody fucking live here? Yeah. What are they getting right. in return? Very they cheap land. Something. Uh, I'm guessing that it could be something along the lines of there's religious reasons, right? Like you were, you were so close to God that you were literally inside of them. Or I mean, you mentioned it yourself, right? Where if you saw something that was immortal or immensely powerful, you'd probably worship it. Right. Especially for some backwards fucking hick. I I bet there's a group among them that know what it actually is and are exploiting some resource it emits as well. Sure. Maybe, maybe the dreams of this slumbering thing, are that certain people, the priesthood, for example, either mm. truthfully or falsely, uh, into, are able to hear these dreams and then get their religious guidance. Oh, from yeah. And they got, that's why they can't get people to sleep because right. if it wakes up, they lose their powers. So, right. like, the divine magic is literal dream stuff? Yeah. Sure. Mm-hmm. Ooh, can and they travel to the. Sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. I was going to ask, like, can they travel to the being's, like, place through the dreams? Uh, I was thinking more like this thing would be telling them to do ludicrous things, right? Oh, okay. But I mean, I think that you, it could also be a way that I, I'm totally open to the idea mm-hmm. of uh, there be a dreamscape that exists only while it's asleep. So freaky. Okay. Maybe these things aren't even corporeal. Maybe the entire existence of civilization is based on the dreaming. Or, or, or is based oh. on the thing dreaming. So these are like figments of its reality, but because we, 
as conscious beings believe whatever and kind of accept whatever reality is, maybe when this thing wake up, it maybe when this thing wakes up, it blinks out of reality because all of reality is false to begin with. So we are its dreams, you're saying. So if it wakes up, our existence ceases. That's why they've got to keep it sleeping. Uh, and then maybe, I think there should only be like a certain cast that understands this risk. Okay. Mm. Yeah, I think that that priest class or cast um, arch preach. <laughs> what's what's different about the priests? Why do they get to know it and others don't? Maybe they can control aspects of the reality because they understand that it's a dream. Oh, they're lucid dreamers. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of like their version of magic in some way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, that's, that's, that's kind of cool, actually. I I like that idea. Um, All right. So what are they sacrificing in order to keep this thing asleep? Someone to dream forever. They'll never wake again. Oh, but they want that, right? Like you want to be, because that's that means you still exist. No, well, we didn't say that it would be a willing sacrifice or an unwilling sacrifice. Oh. But you're giving up every your existence and to continue on experiencing the real world. Maybe the creature's lonely and it needs those people to be sacrificed to it to keep sleeping. Or maybe the sacrifice isn't exactly as much of a sacrifice as we might think, right? Maybe the sacrifice was the people we met along the way. Oh, go fuck yourself. <laughs> Which I was, what's Rob think? That's my question. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm wondering if, all right, so we, just to, just to clarify, we've got mm-hmm. the, this, the, the real thing is it's gigantic or not gigantic, but we're, I'm assuming this is going to be scaled on human scales. So this is something that's big enough that you could be inside of it and perhaps mm-hmm. big enough that you could build an entire community inside of it. Um, and that the priest class is aware of the, of the tenure, their, their own existence depends on this preacher's dreams. Mm-hmm. What if uh, the priest class, however, are quasi real, that oh. they could have an existence beyond, uh, mm-hmm. but they lose all of their power and the everybody else, the common folk and anybody mm-hmm. else is going to be, these are true, they're the true figments. The priest class are, are, are working towards becoming real themselves. And maybe what oh. they're doing is stealing parts of the God in order to manufacture their bodies mm-hmm. or to, or to ground them, to anchor them or to give them persistence beyond. Um, and that requires luring outsiders in maybe. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. It, th- this is almost like they're creating their own tulpa in some way, right? Like they're manifesting mm-hmm. a physical thing through dreams and spirituality really. Well, and there's like a, a paras- parasitism to it. That's like unwilling, it's unwilling at least from the creature, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. All right. So I like where we are right now. And now that we've gone this far, it's now time to roll the twist die where we basically undo all of the hard work that we've just put in. (laughs) So let's see. Let's see what the twist is. Oh, someone is manipulating everything from behind the scenes and it's not who you expect. Oh, Well, it's not the priest then, because we know they're yeah. already manipulating stuff. Right. It's and it couldn't be the beast. Oh, Maybe Chris, say that again. What say if that it's into subconscious. A I, I, I'm at the mic. What if it's his subconscious? Oh. So you could have like, you know, because this thing's intellect is so vast and, you know, complex, you have its own inner workings fighting against itself in some way. Yeah. Part of it wants to end 
its existence or maybe wants to wake up or mm-hmm. has a purpose that is self-destructive or something and, you know, just let it out. I like the idea that we have like essentially a suicidal God, you know, and, and it's not even necessarily that it wants to wake up, but rather it seeks oblivion in some way. Yeah. Hmm. I mean, it's had a millennia of locked in syndrome. So, you know, actually yeah maybe maybe that's what it maybe that's the twist is that it basically thinks that death is preferential to essentially being lived off of you know like being uh being the host to parasites i I wonder what it's it's understanding of the beings living on it is like to what extent does it understand them or what it's doing what they're doing to it and and does it understand them and or how yeah that's that's a good point it's a good question those things are nightmares I mean, imagine being semi-conscious and just acknowledging the fact that there are ants living inside of you. It's not not super pleasant. So, like to Rob's point, maybe it has like a it's it has a sort of awareness of these other beings. As I said, it's a negative awareness. It's like they're they're its dreams essentially. And that could cause some sort of uh, phenomena as when it's surfacing, there are earthquakes or other apocalyptic Mm -hmm. signs, which the priests then use to reinforce their control over the community. Right. Oh, yeah, that's really fucking cool. Um, oh, I think that's. I think that's it. I feel like that's pretty much the scenario that we're dealing with here. Um, all right, uh, that was cool, Rob. Thank you so much. And now we're gonna roll into the rapid fire uh, question portion. So, uh, Rob, my wife wants to know: Is cereal a soup? Uh, I'm gonna. Yes. Yes, it is. <gasps> All right. No. Uh, and can you tell me about uh, your most memorable character death? It wasn't my character, but it was a character played by the late Jeff Quinn. Uh, he was a gamer who played with us. He died a couple years ago from, uh, uh, yeah, well, it was bad. Anyway, Jeff was always an unwelcome guest in our gaming group. His brother, we loved. Jeff was always strange and off-putting. But he would uh, play these characters and he would cheat and do all these other things. But we entertained him. And it became uh, the punchline for our jo- for our jokes in the, ca- in the game because his characters would die in spectacular and magnificent ways week <laughs> after week after week as I was dr- trying this passive-aggressive way of just trying to reveal to him that maybe he should do something else with his time. That failed. The best death, though, he was playing... Uh, and one of the things about his as a player was that, that frustrated me so much and I do love Jeff. I, I miss him terribly. But Jeff, uh, would he would always be the guy who wanted to scout ahead. And so we'd play these games. And I, you know, at first couple of times we did this, Jeff was just mapping out the whole dungeon by himself because he's rolling pretty all right, probably because he was cheating. And so he's seeing stuff. And then the rest of the players just kind of playing vicariously through him. So I, that would get him into trouble. So the, one of the, this particular death, uh, he had advanced down a passageway. And I had planned this out in advance. Uh, that this was a double trap, a double pit trap, one on the ceiling, one on the floor. Uh, and Jeff triggered the pit trap on the floor and fell to the bottom. And there in the bottom of the pit trap was a gelatinous cube. And he fell on the gelatinous cube and started bubbling quietly. The second trip door opened on the ceiling above, releasing yet a second gelatinous cube. Which <laughs> when, the, when the rest of the party finally caught up with this horrific end, they saw his bubbling remains inside. And I remember my friend Nathan, uh, at an act of solidarity with Jeff, cast produce flame and dropped a little ball of fire on top. It was, 
Lovely. <laughs> he became a jelly sandwich. <laughs> oh my yeah. god. Daniel, hit him with the rapid fire questions. Go. Um, your favorite uh drink to drink while gaming. Amstel Light. Amstel Light, okay. That was quick. Mm. And um <clears throat> of all monsters, uh, what is your favorite um D D or fantasy monster? The Ulgasca. Gasta from uh, I think it's how you pronounce it, from Fiend Folio. It was a skeleton troop carrier that would mm-hmm. throw up all the skeletons in a stew of corrosive juices. Oh, that's well, fucking that's, dope. That's quite disgusting. That's yeah. cool. <laughs> All right, and uh, Rob, what have you been playing recently? Zombicide. All right. Uh, and Chris, you had a, what is that? An Eldritch Horror. Ah. Chris, what did you have for a question? Uh, in theme for the month, what's your favorite horror movie, and is it hereditary? It is hereditary. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck yeah, it is. All right, and uh, who, who is someone you would like to plug who is not yourself? Uh, Cecil Howe has got the Forest Hidden Picnic. It should be coming out really soon. He ran a Kickstarter for it, but it is a awesome game powered by Shadow of the Demon Lord's game system. Uh, you play uh, sentient, talkative animals uh, living in a weird forest, and it's got some dark edges to it, and it's really exciting. All the everything's been hand painted. It's got songs in it that you can sing, including music for it. It's a really cool product. Wow. And Rob, why don't you tell everyone where you they can find you online and all your projects you got going on? Uh, right. So uh, online, I'm probably I'm, I'm on Discord. There's a Shadow of the Demon Lord group there. You can also usually get a hold of me on the Schwab Entertainment page on Facebook. Also, the Schwab, the Shadow of the Demon Lord Cult on Facebook. I'm on Twitter as Schwab underscore Ent, and also as at RJ Schwab. Uh, my website is SchwabEntertainment.com. Uh, my current projects are not drinking myself to death. Uh, Shadow of the Weird Wizard is and works right now. I've got a uh, another Poison Pages thing coming up called Hired Help, which tackles companion characters in an interesting way. I'll be working on the night a uh, big ass adventure for the Nightfell setting for Fifth Edition that recently kickstarted. Uh, just and I'm also putting out more products for Punk Apocalyptic. A, a wildly irrelevant, uh, not relevant, uh, irreverent take on the post-apocalyptic uh, concept. Let's see what else do I got going on. Um, yeah, that's pro- that's 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 probably enough. Uh, yeah, that's enough. Look, there's no time limit. You can keep going if you want. Well, then, <laughs> if we're going to keep going, uh, I've got a supplement called uh, the Northern Reach, which explores that. I've got. Some more adventures and some more paths and other things along those lines coming out for Shadow of the Demon Lord. Um, not you don't too- sleep, do you? No sleeping. No, no, no. Uh, <laughs> and then far future, we've got two new games coming out using the new demon uh, using the Demon Lord engine. Uh, one is called Abaddon, the Angel of the Void. Uh, that is a giant civilization that is floating through the void uh, and is beset by demons, but has a science fiction edge to it. So it's be fun, uh, and then there is a uh, modern game where you play a secret society magicians in a small town and fighting terrifying things that are there stalking you and causing trouble. So those are the things that I've got in the works. Awesome. All right, uh, Rob, thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode. It's been a real fucking blast, man. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. I have always have fun doing things, and you guys are great hosts. Thank you thank so you. much. Thank you. And we're back. Uh, 
God damn it, Daniel. That was. <laughs> I mean, he's I mean, we we thought that um, Gygax was the one on cocaine. This guy's on like a whole other kind of drug that I don't even know what it's called. <laughs> I think it's I think it's just called like rage creativity and rage. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yes. absolutely. He's Which, like he's, he's a spirit animal. I swear to God. I love this man. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, and not like you can obviously tell the amount of like love and drive that he has surrounding everything that he has. Like he's he's seen some shit. He's basically seen enough shit and he's dealt with enough shit that he's like, I don't give a fuck anymore. I'm just going to tell it exactly like it is, you know? And not only that, but he, he shares a lot of the same viewpoints that I do. He's like, I don't Mm -hmm. fucking care about your third iteration (laughs) on an elf. Yeah. I don't fucking care about your theocracy. <laughs> like, let's do something different and new. And like, fuck yeah, man. That's the type of like badass attitude that I want yeah. to have in my own life. You know, I mean, like, I think that exactly explains it. like how he can produce so much material. Like, as as cynical as he seems to be, like I think he has so much passion. That's why he can just keep pumping stuff out. You know, exactly right. Exactly right. Absolutely. Oh, all right. Um, I, I'm kind of left speechless after that. Like honestly, I'm 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 just I'm spent. You know, like I think we have damn. to say thank the patron the patrons patreons. Oh yeah, uh, right, thank so. you so much, patrons, for uh, adding in some really cool questions. And beyond that, I, I feel like that's just going to be our episode. And remember that if you have a world building prompt that you'd like us to work with, you can always send us an email at worldbuildwithus at gmail.com, or you can go ahead and send us a tweet over at Let's World Build. And if you want to have your prompt read early, and if you want VIP access to us, you can always donate to us on Patreon, or you can just come chat with us on our Discord. Any of those things are pretty cool. Remember that we love you very much, and we're going to get through this together. Oh,